1: Welcome to episode 53 of the Asian Madness Podcast. I hope you're all doing well, getting enough food and rest, and staying safe. 2020 has been pretty weird. I feel like it's been the longest year ever, but at the same time, I feel like I haven't done much, and yet we're already halfway through the year. I took some time off in June for myself, and I didn't realize how much I needed it till I was halfway done with June. I apologize if it felt like I was delaying things, but I swear I was writing, researching, and taking some time for myself, like I said. Anyway, let us discuss today's case. This case is another listener suggestion. Tom from Facebook, thank you for suggesting this, and I hope you're still listening. Tom is also the one who suggested I cover the episodes on the suicide manual, so pretty great suggestions so far. This is a case from Japan as well, and it was and still is definitely one of the worst massacres in all of Japanese history, carried out by one man. It's not a super recent case, and there might be some historical context mixed in, so we will get to learn more Japanese history together. This is the case known as the Tsuyama Massacre, also known as the Toi Mutsuo Massacre from 1938, We will go through the case in chronological order, first introducing the man behind all this, the events leading up to it, the massacre itself, and the aftermath. Let's begin. The person we will be discussing today is a man named Toi Mutsuo. He was born on March 5, 1917, in Tomata District in Okayama Prefecture, Japan. His parents passed away from tuberculosis when he was still very young. So he and his older sister were then left under the care of their grandmother. When Mutsu turned six, the three of them then left to return to his grandmother's hometown, Kayo Village in Tsuyama, which is also located in Okayama Prefecture. The Toy family were not struggling financially. If anything, they had a good plot of land and were living a pretty good life. Compared to others, they were pretty wealthy. Although the three did not have to worry much about food and money, Mutsuo had other things to worry about. He did not really have the best childhood. He was considered pretty sickly from a young age, and as you would expect, his grandmother was quite protective of him. He started going to school a year later than he was supposed to, and ended up missing a lot of class due to his poor health. Despite missing tons of classes, he was a smart kid and did pretty well in school. His teachers encouraged him to continue on to junior high school and furthering his education. His grandmother, though, was not a fan of this plan and instead persuaded him to stay home for his own good. It was the 1920s. I believe elementary schooling was mandatory, but anything above that was not. So it wasn't strange for kids to get some years of schooling, then return home to work in their fields or help make money for their family but Mutsu couldn't work the fields even if he wanted to. He was soon diagnosed with pleurisy and was basically under house arrest for a while. Pleurisy, according to the internet, is a condition where the two layers of tissue that separate your lungs from your chest wall become inflamed. For a while there, Mutsu couldn't really do much, but as soon as his health started to improve, he was enrolled into a tutoring school. Maybe it was already too late to put him back into regular school, so this was the next best thing for him. Things were pretty rocky for him though. He had trouble making new friends, lost interest in his schoolwork, and also became more withdrawn when his older sister got married when he was 17. I assume the two must have been close, but life goes on and his sister had found happiness. I guess you could say Mutsuo tried to get out of his slump and also found a life after his sister got married. He began spending most of his time taking care of his aging grandmother, going to classes, and writing children's books for the local kids. Interesting to note is that he had become obsessed with a Japanese murder case that occurred around the same year, and this is probably a case that I could go into detail in a later episode. So here is a rough summary. Basically, a prostitute and geisha by the name of Abe Sada had murdered her lover in May of 1936. The murder itself was just pretty regular murder, but what she did after was what really captured everyone's attention. She cut off her dead lover's penis and testicles and carried them in her kimono for the next few days, she was eventually apprehended by the police, and uh, all three members were found in her possession. This case intrigued Mutsuwa so much, he started writing a book about this case. I don't believe he ever finished it, though. Now on to another important part of Mutsuwa's life. As a young man, like most young men his age, he was very aware of the existence of women and this is a cultural thing we need to discuss before we continue on with this case. This might be a pretty strange concept to most people, but please try to keep an open mind as this is mostly history and I believe a lot of things from the past can be considered pretty weird today and probably vice versa. Let's discuss the term, yobai. The English word I saw online used to explain this would be night crawling. The simplest explanation is where a man sneaks into a woman's room in the middle of the night to have sexual intercourse with her. The earliest version of this was documented from around the year 759, and back then, monogamy wasn't really the same as it is today. When couples got married, they would sleep and live in different households at first, and the husband would do this nightly visit to have sex with their wives. But of course, it's not always for married couples. I am not sure if it eventually evolved into something else or it was open for interpretation. In many villages, if a woman was widowed or young, they would become these sort of prized items for men. The men had a hierarchy amongst themselves, as in who gets to have a say or who gets to have first pick. If a man goes against these quote unquote rules, he could be asked to leave or get taken away. But This is not necessarily a rape thing, because I realize this is what it sounds like. Technically speaking, the women would have to give consent to the men who enter their rooms, and they actually do have the right to say no. In a weird way, both men and women supposedly get to pick who they sleep with. Not saying that rape didn't happen. I am 100% sure it did at some point. Although many were respectful, I bet there were tons of assholes who had difficulty getting rejected. Many people found their future husbands and wives during these night crawls kind of like old times Tinder, but somehow way more forward and direct in comparison to many other cultures from that time. Japan has always been pretty open-minded when it comes to sex. I'm sure most of you have seen weird-ass Japanese porn at some point in your lives. Don't lie. So, this night crawling event was seen as an important part of Japanese culture by some, but other folklorists saw it as promiscuous, shameful, and degrading. Some people tried to romanticize this night crawling thing, while others said it was pointless to do that as rape is not romantic. It's also slightly contradictory because, according to history, the men in the village had a hierarchy when it came to night crawling and at the same time, women could say no. But as a man at the top of the food chain, the women would have difficulty saying no because no one would be willing to step in and help her. In the end, it's not necessarily a very consensual relationship to say the least. So that's the basic idea of what yobai is. Is it weird? Eh, kinda, yeah. But that's history. It was said to have still been in practice even until the late 1900s, which kind of makes sense since this case took place in the 1900s. Anyway, let's get back to the case. In the year 1937, when he was 20, World War II was pretty much right around the corner for them. The Japanese army began recruiting people, but because of Mutsuo's health issues and his recent diagnosis of tuberculosis, he was not qualified to serve his country. This was a pretty huge blow to his self esteem, and girls were now less attracted to him because of that. It might sound a little silly, but think about it. I wouldn't be surprised if, under traditional gender roles, women wanted to seek out the strongest and healthiest male, like a biological drive. I mean, it could even ring true today. Also, being able to fight for your country is a huge plus, almost like a badge of honor. So now on top of not being able to make his country proud, now women were rejecting him on his night crawls. I guess for him, it was a pretty big deal. So he wanted to feel manly and powerful. He did whatever he could to make himself feel better. He first obtained a hunting license, then purchased some hunting rifles. In the year 1938, he upgraded his gun collection to a Winchester Model 1897 And began target shooting around the village, in the wooded areas, basically anywhere he could shoot a gun. If people were sort of avoiding him before this, they were definitely full on rejecting him now. I guess you could say Mutsuo was slowly spiraling out of control. Some say he was already planning his massacre plans around this time, but we cannot be sure of this. One last event that really pushed him over the edge was when he tried to put medication into his grandmother's soup. I can't be sure if it was legit medication, or if it was something weird, or maybe it was poison. Fact is that his grandmother saw him put something unknown in her soup, so this led to police becoming involved in the situation. The police raided their home, found all his weapons, and confiscated them. They also took away his hunting license, hoping that this slightly unhinged young man never gets his hands on dangerous guns again. At least, not legally. Mutsuo felt that he worked hard to get to where he was, and the only way he had to prove himself was now gone. He decided not to give up, though, and slowly but surely began recollecting a bunch of other weapons, including a Browning shotgun from a friend. Maybe he was taking his sweet time plotting and planning. It's unclear as to how many days or weeks it took him to plan his attack out. But days before things went down, Mutsuo had begun writing letters to people he was close to, including his older sister. He even got on his bike and rode from his village to the nearest police station, calculating how long it would take for someone to reach the police if needed. He was also seen riding his bike around the village, as if to take note of everything, just in case. Hmm. Definitely premeditated, no doubt. People in the village were extremely aware of how weird he had been acting. People whispered about him behind his back, some people avoided him on the streets, and women rejected his advances, probably scared to catch tuberculosis. At that time, tuberculosis was incurable, so it made sense why people would want to keep away from him. Kinda like coronavirus right now, but way worse. Clearly, Mutsu had made up his mind and he decided to carry his meticulous plan out on May 20th and May 21st of 1938. Why this day though? We will discuss that in a bit. First, here's what happened on May 20th and May 21st. At around 5pm on May 20th, Mutsuo climbed up the electricity tower and severed all the lines. This caused a blackout in the entire village, But no one really thought it was suspicious. Shit happens, and maybe electricity wasn't even that stable back then in the village, so blackouts might have been a common occurrence. No one reported this issue, and soon it was nighttime. People started to head off to bed, and Mutsuo lay waiting for his chance to strike. In the early morning of May 21st, at around 1 a.m., Mutsuo geared up. He put on his student uniform, wrapped a bandana on his head, holding up two flashlights on either side of it, put on a specific type of boots that reduced noises, took two daggers and put them on his waist, stuffed a hundred bullets in his pockets, stuffed another hundred in the bag he was carrying, and of course, got his shotgun. He was now ready. His first victim was his grandmother. Did he hate her? No, I don't think so. If anything, he probably loved her and was the only person he loved in the village. In his mind, this was a way to help her. He knew how it would look for her, the kind of backlash she would receive if he did what he was going to do. People would blame her, hate her, and shun her. He thought he was doing mercy killing, sparing her from having to live with what he was going to do. So he crept into her room late that night as she was sleeping used an axe and decapitated her. He then left his home and began entering every single household possible. He first killed the mother and her two sons with a sword. Then he went on a rampage at another home, killing a father, his sister, and his daughter. He was said to have carried out all his killings in a cool and collected manner. It was also clear to some people that he was full of hatred for those he felt wronged him in some way he came upon an elderly person whom he did not recall having any negative encounters with, and after staring at them, long and hard, he told them something like, Since you never badmouthed me, I'll let you go. And he just walked out, sparing their lives. Not sure if he felt like he had had enough, or maybe he was tired, but after an hour and a half of terrorizing his own village, he finally stopped. At this time, he had invaded 11 homes, killed 28 people, injured 5, 2 of those would later die from their injuries. His victim count was 30, and their ages ranged from 5 to 86 years old. At the end of this hour and a half, it seemed as if he was satisfied. Many people seemed to have fled the village when they heard the screams and the shots go off. Somebody was able to flee on the bike and report the incident to the police station in the next village. Before leaving for good, though, he stopped by a family's home to borrow some pen and paper. The family was understandably terrified, but Mutsuo thought that the little boy from the family was a boy that enjoyed the children's stories he had written. He decided to let the family live. Before he left, though, he told the boy to study hard and do great things. Really weird thing to say at this point, but I'm assuming he meant something along the lines of don't become someone like me. Mutsuo took his pen and paper, left for a nearby mountain, wrote out his suicide note, and ended his own life with his shotgun. He took off one boot, positioned the shotgun towards himself, and pulled the trigger with his toe. He was 21 years old. His body was discovered by the police at around 5 a.m., only a couple hours later. Obviously, there are tons of things that need to be addressed. Was there a specific reason he chose that day to carry out the attack? Sort of, yes. Remember how I mentioned earlier that during the night crawls, some people may end up meeting their future spouse? Well, during his few years of night crawling, Mutsuo had fallen for a few nice young women, but many of these women ended up marrying other people eventually moving away from the village. This made him feel very rejected. The day that he decided to strike, most likely May 21st, was the day that many of these women returned home to visit their families. He was mad at them. He wanted revenge. But not everything worked out for him. A woman he was intent on killing had heard the commotion and had gotten away, so he ended up killing the entire family instead. Mutsuo was really out for blood. He had left around three different suicide notes, two that were written prior to the massacre, and one when he was on the mountaintop right before he shot himself. In his letters, he expressed how rejected he felt and how contracting tuberculosis had changed his life for the worse. He showed very little remorse in his writing. He explained that the only reason he wanted to leave suicide notes was to explain why he did what he did and did not want people to think that he was simply unstable. Did he think about abandoning his plan? He did, but just for a bit. I found a part of his suicide note online, translated from Japanese into Chinese, so here is my attempt to translate that into English. I leave these letters so those that come after me won't think that I'm just mentally unstable. I want people to understand that I am determined to die. I have an incurable sickness. I am shunned by my neighbors, betrayed by women, and for this act of revenge I am willing to die. I thought about turning back, but after battling this illness, I feel as if I can no longer turn back. If only this sickness was treatable. If only I was a little bit stronger. Maybe things wouldn't have to be like this. He had also mentioned why he shot his grandmother, labeling it as merciful. As if that makes it any better. He was probably right about how the village would view his grandmother if she were alive, though. Mutsu's relatives lived in the same village, and he didn't kill them. The villagers began to shun them, believing that they had knowledge of what was going to happen and that they managed to stay alive because they were family. I highly doubt it, though, but you never really know. Some of his victims were actual targets, while some others may have just been at the wrong place at the wrong time. How do you justify killing a five-year-old? Most people that came across Mutsuo that night, and Mutsuo himself, were dead. The police had to rely on the three survivors and Mutsuo's suicide notes to understand what happened. He seemed to have really worked hard on orchestrating this plan though, and most likely provided detailed documentation on how he was going to carry it out. The village is no longer there, but you can still go to the area where the massacre took place. You can go from Tsuyama City, and eventually you'll come across a blue sign by the side of the road that says Kaio, the name of the village. The road then splits into two paths, and along the path you can find many headstones with names and the dates marked Showa Era 13, May 21st. The Showa era starts in the year 1926 and ends in 1989. It's basically the way the Japanese people label different periods of time. There was a TV show in Japan a few years ago where they tracked down some of the people that knew Mutsu and were still alive. Of course, they're really, really old, probably in their 90s. One stated that he was the last person you would expect to murder all these people. He was nice, polite, and super helpful. Another elderly woman said that the teachers in the village had high hopes for Mutsuo. They believed that he had what it took to become a teacher. Of course, tragedies like this usually means that there will be one or five movies made about it. In the year 1983, a movie called Village of Doom was released in Japan. It was pretty much Mutsuo Toy's life story. Where quote, an emotionally distraught young man goes on a violent killing spree after his tuberculosis keeps him from serving in World War II and is frowned upon by his fellow villagers. End quote. So there you have it—the tragic and brutal massacre of a sleeping village in 1938. This was, and probably still is, the worst massacre carried out by a single perpetrator in the history of Japan. I kind of feel for Motsuo, and some of the fears and emotions he faced must have been overwhelming getting diagnosed with tuberculosis at such a young age, not being able to serve in the war, and being shunned by his peers. Despite all that, I obviously think what he did was shitty. There's no way you can justify his actions. It's also not surprising that he killed himself in the end, because he knew how this would end for him if he lived. And also, honor. Honor is always a big thing. I also sort of wonder if this could have been prevented, as it was somewhat noticeable that Mutsuo was not doing great in the mental health department. But come on, it was the 1930s in Japan. I'm pretty sure no one even considered mental health as an issue. Anyway, let's just all try to get along and try to be nice to each other. It sounds overly simple, yes, but it can really go a long way. Thank you again for tuning in, and sorry again for the delay. Please stay safe, healthy, and happy. Till next time. And uh, before I go, I would like to thank the following people for their Patreon pledges and their wonderful reviews. Uh, For Patreon, there's Jessica M., Mina from True Crime Finland, yay, and Caitlin Popodi. Thank you very much. Your support means a lot to me. And for reviews, I have Ginny Rose 1991 from the US, uh, Rat Lover also from the US, and uh, Lila VCDS Heart from Malaysia, and Avaya Bas from Australia. Oh, I have no idea if I pronounced that right. Probably not, so forgive me. I really do appreciate all the kind reviews you've left me. And although I have gotten a few negative ones recently because uh, apparently I have opinions and that's not cool. And although I try not to be super opinionated, but I think most of us probably have very similar opinions when it comes to bad guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at AsianMadnessPod at gmail.com.